0: I wish I knew how to put feet to be free. I wish I could break all the chains holding me. I wish I could say all the things that I should say. Say
1: them loud, say them clear. Welcome to this. Special episode of Uncultured Bias. My name is Kamara Williams. I know um, this is actually really different of me actually hosting a podcast immediately after dropping one on 420, but uh, I think today's verdict or yesterday's verdict, um, when you listen to this, it was special. So I want to do a special podcast. What you just heard was obviously my, not my opening. It was uh, Nina Simone's I Wish I Could Be Free. And since we're doing a special podcast, I'm going to bring on my guest in a moment, but I wanted to, to talk to you guys for a little bit. Um, you know, This one's going to be obviously about the Chauvin, Derek Chauvin verdict um, and just my thoughts. And then once I get my thoughts out, then we'll uh, bring on the guest and we can just have a entire conversation surrounding everything, surrounding the trial and just After Effects. Uh, you know the intersectionality of justice and hope met at the crossroads today, and for like for me, it finally decided to walk in the same direction, at least for a brief moment. Uh, you know, black people, this is walk is often few and far between, but it seemed like just today we actually got to see how justice works for everyone. Now, I mentioned on my uh, Facebook post that it was a cathartic tension that you could you felt before the verdict came in, like what was going through. Everybody's mind Like take a moment Think about it Like what was going through Everybody's mind it's, Did you feel hopeful Were you nervous Did you feel like confident About everything For a large majority of people They didn't And I just want to tell Those who are not black I'm mean, going to say This is actually how black people Operate Constantly What you felt today Was just the exact moment of how we feel all the time, but here's also the smart, the funny thing. Black people, we have a innate sense of community. So when something happens to one of us, it happens to all of us. It's what makes us so beautiful because we have an an intrinsic humanity within us. And what you felt today, that cathartic feeling of tension, was. The very by de- very definition of what it is to be black Because we feel connected to something That's larger than us So you know I mean I am happy about the verdict today But justice is not just having one not, Justice is not just having one verdict Justice is having no one die at the hand of law enforcement What we received today was accountability And accountability of the system And a result of the system that was finally being honest with itself Justice is not going to bring back George Floyd Justice is not going to bring back Micaiah Bryant Who actually died at the hands of law enforcement The very day that Chauvin was getting his verdict It was almost like life was just reminding us That yes, you can be happy about this Very verdict, but there's a larger conversation happening And there's a larger issue Justice is not going to bring back Breonna Taylor Who was gunned down in her own home Justice is not going to bring back Dante Wright And justice is not going to bring back Everyone who doesn't have the opportunity To have their case heard on CNN Or MSNBC Or given a national spotlight Or national appeal Ultimately Justice is not going to be given to those Who just don't have the benefit Of having their video recorded For nine minutes Where the world gets to see their death We actually had to Wait, this is wild We had to wait and figure out If somebody was going to be convicted Based off of the fact that Everybody else saw the death But we had to wait to see does Is the video enough That in itself Was very depressing I don't know how you guys felt But I mean, I, there was this jubilation And then there was this this sense of I just felt bad Like, I shouldn't have to feel this cathartic in order to get something that is as plain, literally, on camera. But that is where we're at. Joining me today in this conversation is a friend of mine. Um, You know, I I, I would call her a mentor, but we're friends, and she's a mentor. Um, My friend, Nat, she's actually was doing a lot of um, national appearances and she decided to hop on with me to do me a favor Nat, you still here with me
2: I'm here Kamara you know you're always my number one media <laughs> show. so i was gonna make sure that I got time today to talk to you
1: I appreciate it I appreciate it I'm gonna tell a funny story about Nat um when I was in law school Nat let me use her place to throw a law school party <laughs> she didn't know me from Adams but she let me throw a party at her house, and ever since then, I've got nothing but love for Miss Natalie Jackson. So
2: that's awesome. Look, we lawyers need parties. Look what we go. At. Especially black lawyers. Look I know,
1: we- I know, I know. But man, so I mean, I I know you were doing um, an analysis on the case throughout, and you were uh, live tweeting and everything like that. But just walk me through your thoughts in this two week trial, and just you know, what your thoughts for this verdict was. I'm going to give you room to run because I know I had an opening monologue, okay. but, you know, just walk okay. me through everything. No,
2: you know, I, had us to, I want us to have a conversation about this because what you said was really real, right? There are People, we have a video and not only one video, we had eight videos from different angles. We had videos from the time George Floyd stepped on the scene yeah. in Cup food store to the time he was taken to in the ambulance. And we still were, were anxious that Derek Chauvin was going to get off. Yeah, that's the state of that's the state of black people in America with the justice system, right? Yeah. So I, you know, one of the things I think that's important for your audience to know that many people don't know is that the lead prosecutor in this case case, Jerry Blackwell, who is a black lawyer, he volunteered to do this case. Mm. He's a private attorney. Mm-hmm. So that in itself is extraordinary. That you have a private attorney representing the state of Minnesota.
1: Well, <laughs> and, yeah, I'm going to get into that too because very. There's a lot of interesting dynamics with that too. But yeah, keep well, going.
2: Yeah, so I mean, well, let's you know, let's freestyle this because I think that it's important. Not you know, it's, we are thinking of stuff to say it because there's so much in this case. Yeah. So you have Jerry Blackwell. You had Jerry Blackwell have to bring on medical people such as Dr. Tobin who volunteered a renowned expert who volunteered to give testimony, unpaid testimony. In this case, you had Dr. Laura Thomas, who was a medical examiner that trained the medical examiner that wrote the original autopsy. Why did she have to come? And we're going to, you know, we need to talk about that. Why did she have to come? It was because Dr. Baker gaslit everybody yeah. in his autopsy. Yeah. And that is the problem that we face when you're dealing with police officers and everybody trying to cover for police officers in this case. So you had to have many, I heard people say Jerry Blackwell may have overtried this case. Well, no, for black people, I think he tried it just right. right. He put everything out there. We need that. We need that to get justice. And that's the sad part of it is that to get justice We have to really have a perfect case, a perfect storm. And so last thing I'll say on this, and then we can talk more, but, you know, I compare this to Michael Brown's case in 2013. Michael Brown was shot on the street. There were over 20 witnesses that saw him be shot and said his hands were up when the police officer. we knew he was unarmed, but said his hands were up and he was not coming towards the police officer when he was shot. However, those witnesses were all black. Yeah. And their statements were discounted. There was no video. Mm. Their statements were discounted.
1: So it's wild because you know, when we've all been in um we've been to trials and it's no doubt that people when they see the badge on a on a witness stand, they give it more credence. And we even though the rules say that you're not supposed to give one witness more credence than the other, more, more, no lay witness more credence than the other. You're not supposed to give anybody, unless they're um, an expert, right? Um, so, you know, but people, for whatever reason, they see the badge and they give that a weightier um, understanding. And we put it in our journey, so it's like, hey, uh, or excuse me, our your questions, love. You know, if you should see an officer understand, are you going to... Um, You know, are you going to uh, um, give them more credence than the "quote unquote" opposing side? In our times, it's the defendant, and everybody says, "No, no, I'm not." And some people it actually tell the truth and be like, "Yeah, you know, I will," because officers are inherently, I believe, them more than "quote unquote" a defendant. But you just said that twenty people saw uh, Mike Brown died in cold blood, and they're. Statements were not even considered
2: right they were they were discounted not yeah. e- not discounted not even considered. they were discounted because many people felt they were being biased because yeah. they were black and Mike Brown's black
1: right and, and these
2: people who didn't know him and didn't know his family, and that's what we deal with in our justice system
1: mm-hmm. and so we we look at you know with um derek chauvin's case. I often was thinking, I mean, I've been thinking about this since the death of George Floyd. What if there was no video? What if there was no video? Like what, like when we, and we would have had a hundred people said, hey, this guy was on his neck. I timed it with my watch. He was on his neck for nine minutes, over nine minutes. And 20 people say that. 20 people have the same testimony. Mm -hmm. I don't know if we would have gotten a, a guilty verdict.
2: I don't know either. And I will say that, you know, the problem is not with the jury. So when we talk about, you know, juries give police officer credence or whatever, mm-hmm. the jury give the police officers the deference that the state attorney who's prosecuting them give the police officers. The jury gives the police officers the deference that the judge who's in the case is giving the police officers. Mm-hmm. So juries take their lead. I mean, I think that juries, of course, they have their biases with anybody. Right. If you put, you know, if you put someone who's who's a hundred pounds, a female in a murder case that's, you know, of course they're going to say, well, you know, she might not have done it because she's a little bitty woman. So you can't blame the juries. We have to blame the people inside the system who, who are giving police officers a pass. And in doing so they are upholding the culture of the thin blue line.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, um, it's wild that we actually it took all of this energy like it took marches around the world it took um you know a, a video in 4k as we like to say nowadays like you know it's like a clear video it took it took um you know, all this social movements just to get this one verdict and it and honestly to me that's not justice because it but because
2: it's not justice to um to Eric Garner's mother, isn't it? No. <laughs> she, she didn't get justice. And this was the same thing that happened to her son. Right. It's certainly not justice to Philando Castile's family, his his fiance Diamond, who was in the car and saw the police officer kill him on video. Mm-hmm. So, no, you're right. It's, it's not justice. It's a step towards justice. Right. Not justice.
1: Right. And, and so it's, it's just a, a reminder that we have so much to do because- I, you know, I want to come to a day. I want to be my life, life my lifespan. That we don't need all of this for a guilty verdict. Like it shouldn't require all this. It shouldn't require us to march. It shouldn't require us to 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 bang on the door to our legislators to speak up. It shouldn't require companies to do social media hashtags, and it shouldn't require all these things to get a guilty verdict. Because that's what it felt like. If, or, or
2: not just to get a guilty verdict to say. It. Black Lives Matter. Right. I mean, it shouldn't require that. That's a human... This We have inalienable human rights just like everyone else. And it it should not... This is... The system should not work in a way that disqualifies black lives. Yeah.
1: Yeah. What were the main takeaways you got from the trial?
2: That was the main one, is that it takes us... We have to put on a damn near perfect case to to just get, to just get justice for a victim, not, not a defendant, not somebody who did something, a victim Mm -hmm. to even be seen as a victim. We have to put on a, a three, a three, um, a three week trial when there's video of the murder. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I, that's what I got from.
1: Yeah. Uh, it, it's, um, I, you and I have been in cases individually where <laughs> they have grainy video of our defendants, <laughs> and they mm-hmm. co- and they they still convicted them.
2: <laughs> if they're black, if they're black, yeah. it'd be, you you can have no video.
1: <laughs> right, right. You know, it just and and I literally I remember I had um a case that still sticks with me to this day, um, and this is the hard part about being uh, in trial. There are cases they say you're supposed to win, and there are cases you're supposed to win that you lose, and there's a case you're supposed to lose that you win. So this, there's this one case I remember. I um, had a client, and I mean everything didn't match. Like they, the clothes, the the they said the guy's clothes were he was wearing blue. I'm just paraphrasing here. My guy was wearing red that night, right? They said my guy, the guy was dark skin. My guy was um, of lighter complexion light skin right um, they said that the uh, that the person had a short hair my guy had um, a, he was growing out his dreads right it wasn't longer but he was kind of growing out a little bit right um, what is it oh by the way it was at night the area in which the shooting uh, shooting took place um, was dimly lit. Right, so because the light pole didn't wasn't um light the light pole wasn't working, and all these things. Oh, and by the way, by the way, they did not find the fingerprints of my client on the on the um the gun. They called it it was inconclusive. So we were like, okay, we've laid out all the evidence.
2: (laughs) Well, let's let's even let's stop you there, Kamara. Yeah, because. The state attorney brought charges against your client. Right. Think how hard it is for us to get a state attorney to bring charges, even in this case and in other cases, how hard it's been for state attorneys to bring charges when there's video evidence. Yeah. So go ahead.
1: Yeah. And the one thing I think would happen is that my client, he he had golds in his mouth and he had tattoos on his neck. And I can I can tell they were, every time, they were just, they weren't even judging the case. They were just looking at my client.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: They were just looking at him. And I just felt like, God, like, I hope they're listening to the facts. I kept trying to get them to the facts, mm-hmm. right? But it's like, I couldn't, they were just kept staring at him. You know, like and yeah. and so I'm like, even then, even then, I was like, okay, well, the facts show all these things. They're not going to convict him. He got to convict. He ended up doing ten years. But and I, that case sticks with me because I, there's, I sometimes think to myself, like, you know, I, I do replays in my mind, like, what did I do wrong? Like, what did I do wrong? How did I? And you know, there's, I literally go back over. I'm like, no, I, I've talked about this. I talked about that. And I, it, it all comes down to just the prejudice, inherent prejudice that my client felt um, that day.
2: From Not just that day, from the day he was charged. Yeah. You have a state attorney who charged him with that evidence. The state attorney has an ethical obligation to charge based upon evidence and the charge cases that they, they feel that they can prove. Right. And in the case that you just described – What they proved that they what they felt that they could prove was that he was black and he looked stereotypical criminal. Mm -hmm. So that was it. And that's what we find in many of these cases. That's why, you know, when we're talking about Black Lives Matter or these police shooting cases or whatever, it's much deeper than just police officers. It goes to the state attorneys who won't charge these police officers. It goes to the medical examiners who won't write a medical report that allows people to understand what happened. It goes to judges who won't bring the charges that that, that you need in these cases. In fact, even in the George Floyd case, I don't know if you know, but the murder three charge, the judge did not. He ruled that they could not charge. Yeah. That the- attorneys could not charge the murder three charge they had to appeal that yep, jerry yep. blackwell
1: yeah
2: appeal that mm-hmm. and the appellate court said the judge was wrong that's how we got the murder three charge
1: yeah exactly it and so that just shows you inherently how the system in itself is broken right it because number one you talk about the medical examiner um I, I shout out to, uh, you know, attorney Ben Crump. And we'll talk about him in, in a moment. Yeah, exactly you know.
2: that, that, I mean, Ben deserves all his flowers while he's alive. Yeah. He's yeah. been getting some, you know, he's been getting some pushback from people who I feel don't understand and really should just be quiet.
1: They don't understand. And I, I, I want to pe- uh, uh, tear into that in, in a moment. But, you know, uh, attorney Crump, Initially, when they gave the first initial medical exam report, he went out and said, no, I'm going to get another one and I'm Uh going to bring back some more eyes on it. And, you know, it just showed it showed inherently how the system was prejudicial from the jump and the things we have to do to work to get a fair evaluation of a case.
2: Let's tell your your audience about that. Every one of these cases that Ben has, he has to get independent medical examiner yeah so what that means is that they have to pay when the when your taxpayer dollars pay these medical examiners that work for the state ben has to pay someone to come in and give a private independent exam because these examinations are so biased so imagine someone who can't get ben crump who doesn't have the money who knows something happened to their family which we know all the time people are in that situation and they, they know something happened, but the medical examiner for the state wrote it wrong and they can't afford that $10,000 right. to hire a pri- private medical examiner. This is, you know, this is how the cards are stacked, not only against black people, but against poor people, too, in America.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, black. And being black and poor is like getting a double-edged sword. It really is in the justice system. (laughs) In the justice system. sentence if you're
2: in the justice system.
1: Right, right. You know, and, um, you know, talking about the prosecutor. Now, so Keith Ellison, who's the attorney general. Uh Now, a lot of people don't realize this. And and I've been thinking about this all day, especially after the verdict. Um, Keith Ellison ran for DNC chair and he Uh lost. Now I actually I actually supported Keith. I, I actually liked um, Mr. Ellison, attorney Ellison um, but he ended up losing and then he came and he was a former congressman he was a ten year ten, um, ten term congressman in Minnesota. Um, then he ran for DNC chair, lost, and then he decided to run for attorney general-
0: mm-hmm.
1: won and then attorney Ellison gets placed with this case. And instead of going with inside the office, he says, "I am going to recruit my old buddies who know mm-hmm. how, who I know know how to try a case,
2: and who I know feel passionately about this case."
1: Yes, and he went and got quote unquote his homies to come in. Like, I, I need you guys, everybody, to come in. And I joked with Alicia, a friend, uh, my our friend Alicia Adams, and I was like, "Alicia, if you, this is something Alicia would have done, Alicia would have got if she wasn't Keith Ellison's position She would have called all of us Hey I need you in this office I need you I need you I Kamara I know you're in private practice But I need you to come in And try this case <laughs> um, But I mean It's I found that fascinating Because I always think It's the The singularity of life right And I think about If Keith Ellison had won The DNC chair And then um, George Floyd would have died And there would have been another attorney general would we have gotten the same result? Would you got what? Would, would they have continued continue with the same fervorance that Keith Ellison put in this case?
2: Well, I can tell you from my experience working on Trayvon Martin. Okay. So you know, I think it's it's important that your your listeners know. I worked with Ben Crump on Trayvon Martin. We were the civil attorneys in the case. Right. So there were state attorneys that were assigned to the case so the case happened there were the local state attorneys got disqualified from the case yeah. the case was given to a statewide a, a, it was given to a statewide prosecutor yeah. who happened to be a prosecutor out of Jacksonville and she brought her team with her yeah and I remember talking to the prosecutor um, that was the lead prosecutor on the case and he asked me he said Natalie, would it make a difference to you if Trayvon hit George Zimmerman I said, no, he should have hit George Zimmerman. George Zimmerman ran up to him in the dark at night unarmed while George Zimmerman had a gun. <laughs> I was mm-hmm. like, and so that question mm. from him led me to believe he thought Trayvon did something wrong. From right, the
1: beginning. right.
2: He tried that case. Right, right. And so that's what we're dealing with in these cases. You're dealing with state attorneys who are not quite convinced.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> you know, so if you get a state attorney who thinks that, you know, The police officer may have had to hold George Floyd down, (laughs) whatever. This is what we're working with, these inherent biases, because inherent bias in that officer's mind, I mean, in this prosecutor's mind in the Trayvon case, was that a 17-year-old boy in the dark um, who is being accosted by someone who followed him in a car and gets out of his car and accosts him is in the wrong if he hit that person back. That's those are the prosecutors we're working with, wow. you know, and, yeah. and the only difference is that this is a 17 year old black boy in his own neighborhood. Yeah. If this were a 17 year old white boy in his own neighborhood being followed by a black person in a car who gets out of the car and chases him
1: and accost him.
2: Yeah. And accost him. No one would question him fighting back. They would think that that's what he should have been. Stranger danger. Right. right? Stranger danger didn't apply to our children. So this is the mindset that we're dealing with, with many of these state prosecutors. Thank God for Monique Roel. Thank God for Aramis Ayala, who we have in Orange County. And, you know, these are the prosecutors that we want all over the nation, not because they're pro-black, but because they're pro-justice. Yeah. Nobody's asking to be, you know, favoritism to black people. We're just saying, stop killing us, too.
1: Well, one of the things I know when I talked to Monique privately, um, and that was her thing going in, and what she continues to do in the office is that she's trying to root out the insipid nature of prejudicial bias towards the the victim or just black and brown people, right? right? And so I, I know it's kind of it's been a it's been a journey for her. I'm not going to speak for her, but um, it has been a journey, and and she's. He's very still fervent about doing so, but um, it speaks to that. Like, there's if the prosecutor, in, especially in cases like this involving um, whether it's involving law enforcement or those who purport to be like their law enforcement, like George Zimmerman, um, you cannot villainize the victim. Right. You know, you cannot do that. And
2: I realize that you are, worth, if you bring these charges, yeah. then they are the victim, period.
1: Yeah. You and
2: know, you need to prosecute this case. Now, if you don't believe in the case, don't bring the charges. Mm-hmm. That's how, I, if you don't believe, don't bring the charges. But once you bring the charges, you have made a, a, a compact with the victim and the people who love the victim that I am going to ethically and justly try this case. For the victim and the state of Florida, or the state of Minnesota, wherever you are.
1: So, what you're what you're speaking about, though, is, in my opinion, the lack of humanity in which they see black and brown people, especially certain victims, right? Because mm-hmm. let's say with Trayvon's case, um, mm-hmm. they say, "Well, you know, Natalie, would it matter if it, he would have hit hit him?" And you know, and the fact of the matter is, like any human. In his circumstance, would have reacted the way Trayvon well, now did. let's
2: talk about the fact of the matter, Kamara. In that case, there was no evidence that Trayvon Martin hit George Zimmerman. Okay. Um, yeah. As far there was no physical forensic evidence, there were no right. bruises on hit Trayvon's hand. Well, there was evidence because George Zimmerman was bleeding; his nose was bleeding or whatever. But that could have been hit by the elbow. That could have been caused by other things. When you look at the forensic evidence, there was no DNA on Trayvon's hands. There was no defensive anytime you're doing something defensive you'll get scraping skin scrapings or something like that under the nails there was none of that yeah so you know for me i'm like you I, I just felt that that was and and like you said even if he did hit him but there was just no evidence towards that either
1: but so i and and, and but uh, you know year first one 1000% i say
2: no evidence cuz there was a bloody nose and there was you know some blood but
1: but 1000% you know, I agree with you, but I said I remember thinking myself at the time like, okay, well, even if he did, yeah. and I'm gonna curse it. So the fuck, what? Like, I didn't, I didn't care because in my mind, he he had a human reaction to a very right. real moment,
2: right? To being accosted in the dark by yeah. someone, and so in a car,
1: you, everybody who's in that position is going to. Lay hands on somebody And not in the biblical sense Right Right. And For me When you operate Under the sense of not um, Looking at us from a human Point of view This period You're going to say things Like that prosecutor Prosecutor did And you're going to do things Like Derek Chauvin did When he put his Knee On somebody's neck Under a windpipe and press, press down because you don't look at them as human. You look at them as something less than or something other. You look you other them, but they're not human. But you other them.
2: And and since you're speaking on the othering, that was something that stood out to me in the trial of David, Derek Shav- Shavin. What Jerry Blackwell and his team did, they spent a great amount of time making the people realize that this was George Floyd, mm-hmm. and he was a human who deserved the dignity. And the, and the respect of a human being. So they had to spend a lot of time so that if the jury were inclined to other George Floyd, they brought that back from the witnesses that they put on the stand, from the way that Jerry Blackwell called those witnesses the bouquet of humanity, from the way that Steve Schlesinger said that his name was George Floyd. You yeah, know, right. that I mean, was beautifully done. And I think that it was a testament, and I think what we're seeing is that, you know, one of the things that is impactful that has brought, I believe, the attention to the Black Lives Matter movement is the fact that it has become so diverse, is the fact that, you know, you've got in Oregon, pretty much all white people on the front line saying Black Lives Matter. So that, you know, when, and, and. It's kind of insulting that when we say it, it's like, oh, it's black people. Mm -hmm. It has, it takes the white people to come in and say it to get some attention from it. But, you know, whatever, whatever.
1: Whatever works, right? But I mean, it's. it's, Whatever
2: moves us forward.
1: Right. And so, um, looking at this trial, did you, were you at any point impressed with the defense? Or did you feel like, okay, like they may actually, it might might have scored some points here. And no,
2: I never thought he scored any points. I was impressed that he was able to stay on his message.
1: Yeah. And
2: that was the only message that he could have, right? Mm-hmm. That it was everything else that caused his death. And so I was I and so I guess I will say I was impressed in the fact that he was able to stay on message, even in the face of the ridiculousness of the message. Yeah. So that was that was, and that was really all he had. So it's not a dig on him. He really had nothing in this case but to say it was the drugs, it was the adrenaline, it was excited delirium, it was the crowd, it was George George Floyd's pre-existing conditions, medical conditions, and he kept he threw everything he could out there. And honestly, in a def- as a defense attorney in this type of case, that's what you got to do.
0: Yeah,
2: yeah. I remember um, in the Casey Anthony case. Remember when um, Baez said that she drowned in the pool. And that was like the big aha moment in the defense yeah so you know that 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 a, those are the kind of things you have to do as a defense attorney in these type of cases and I think it's important for your listeners to know that defense attorneys have a lot more leeway than prosecutors mm-hmm. defense attorneys can get a lot lot more creative in their arguments right. Prosecutors have to stick to the facts right so we, they're, we, we they're can the speak yeah.
1: We can create a narrative, we can create a story um you know within reason, right of explaining what exactly happened or what in our what what happened um, i you know one thing i did I will admit though I did think their closing was was good.
2: What did you think was good about it?
1: Well, all right,
2: and you're talking about defense, right the defense. Okay. I thought
1: the closing was a, was um, was effective Beg- for two reasons. All right, they when they were describing the um, the kneeling on the neck, mm-hmm. and they were and they were giving a slow methodical look at. Okay, well, he was his toe was up, his toe was and it, and and you know it gave him. In the video that has been circling around, yes, it looks like he's been doing it for nine minutes, but it was really on it for several seconds. And then there, you know, the uh, they brought in, you know, with their statements of the his his heart condition and that being a possibility of what might, what may have happened. And it's like it was a even when he was picked up for a previous charge um, a while back, and they still had to get medical personnel. Because in, he, he was under um, observance Because he his heart was acting up at that time And so and basically they were giving other examples Of what may have happened But not necessarily because Chauvin was putting his knee on the neck And I, I didn't say it was
2: Right, no I get what you're saying The reason I thought it was not effective Is because he ignored the biggest elephant in the room And I think he needed a he needed a reason for that. Why was Chauvin still on his neck after he was passed out? Yeah. After he was unconscious. When he was told there was no pulse, when the medical when the ambulance came, why did Chauvin remain? I think that he needed to address that. And he could have said it's because Chauvin, you know, he black, you know, he blacked out because of the crowd. You know, his right. fear of the crowd. His he never said fear. He kept saying he was observed the crowd was getting more and more tense. But he never said Chauvin was fearful of the crowd. And I and I think the reason that he couldn't, because Chauvin didn't testify. Yeah. He can't testify to Chauvin's state of mind. That's why Chauvin probably should have taken that stand. And I think he should have
1: taken stand. I definitely think he should have <laughs> taken stand. And you know that I thought that was a, a bad strategy move. What I also thought and what you're talking about um is a strategy that defense attorneys we use by they, they, I've heard taking the the pin out of the um, the balloon for the prosecutor or um, eliminating, eliminating that was, the...
2: That was the biggest thing he had to, yeah. you know, and you, Chauvin was... He could have talked about that. And even if the state attorney... I mean, even if the prosecutors beat Chauvin up, mm-hmm. you know, he could have been like, look, man, you know, I was scared. Yeah. I, I blacked out. I didn't know how long it was. I thought that, you know, I'm just thinking keep him down until the ambulance comes. I I thought it was 2 seconds. I didn't think it was 9 minutes. You yeah. know, he could have testified to all of that. And he's the only one that could have.
1: Yeah. And so, you know, <laughs> with even with that being said, I agree number 1. You're right. He should have um, you know, addressed it work, but- <laughs> it, it's like taking take, taking away the biggest element from the other the prosecution and creating your own narrative with it. That is what an effective defense attorney does. Like you, you recognize your biggest weakness in the case. You don't ignore it. You you actually attack it head on, and you make sure that they can't use it against you. Because if you ignore it, then they're gonna use it against you. Like they're gonna use it not only against you, but they say, and they didn't even mention what everybody else sees. And so you can't have them bring up that thing. You have to bring it up. You have to um. You have to attack it and create that narrative. One right. of the things.
2: What what Eric Nelson did, the defense attorney, he tried this case just like all the other lawyers tried this case. Like the guy, the lawyer who was for the defense, and Eric Garner tried this case. The lawyer who was defense and Fidel Castillo tried this case. He tried it just like them. He did not adjust for the fact that you had Jerry Blackwell, mm-hmm. that you had medical examiners who were not with the state, that you had these these different doctors. He never adjusted. Mm-hmm. and that's where they're so used to winning yeah he he when this they're used to winning because usually the prosecutor and the police officers are working with them yeah so when the tables got turned he didn't know how to pivot
1: yeah yeah <laughs> i I agree um so I, I gave you one reason the second reason why I thought it was effective, because again this is just it's not an exact science but I was on watch looking on social media and people who were are, are were and still you know George Floyd advocates mm-hmm. were saying like you know what he's kind of convinced me and I was mm-hmm. like oof <laughs> I was like wait a minute I was like wait a minute wait a minute you know when you kind of, got and, and it's, I know it's not that's not an exact <laughs> science but you know you look at you look at social media and their reactions <laughs> to the closing and you're like well, wait a minute if that's convincing them how's that playing in the in the courtroom you know
2: well, yeah I think that the key to that is that I believe those people only saw the closing. They uh, didn't see the evidence yeah. that was presented in the case. Right. I watched the case from beginning to end. Right,
1: right, right, right.
2: I think the score was always a yeah. hundred to zero. <laughs> I think, I think that there was no point. Every point that they tried to score, Jerry Blackwell came back.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's true. That's you know, that's
2: true. Um, even on the rebuttal, you know, I heard commentators. They're saying Jerry Blackwell shouldn't have put Dr. Tobin back on for the rebuttal. And I was like, that's crazy. You just had Dr. Fowler say that he died from for the defense, that he died from indeterminate causes. Right. Of course, Jerry Blackwell is going to rebut that. Any good attorney is going to rebut that. Right. They're not going to let that stand. And Jerry Blackwell, as a black attorney, he knew black America was looking at him. Yeah. (laughs) And he better throw everything off He better put it all out there Because if he had not rebutted and the verdict was not guilty Guess who people were going to look at Yeah Blame him for not rebutting it
1: And you, you, it's almost like you cannot Allow a statement to go unchallenged In this right. arena Like you have to Especially if you don't put somebody on the stand If you don't know what they're going to say You mm-hmm. know what this witness is going to say so mm-hmm. you put them on the stand because you know they're going to they're going to help refurbish the image of your case, and mm-hmm. so yeah, it was a better, it was a great strategy um, in how this case uh, went forward. I want to ask you though, did you at any point think that he was going to get convicted on all three?
2: Yeah, well, actually, no, because in Florida we can't you can't be convicted on murder and manslaughter. I thought he would be convicted on the highest charge, murder, too. Mm-hmm. I. Asked a tweet yesterday that this verdict was going to come back today, and it was going to be murder too, and okay. exactly what happened happened. Yeah, uh, and the reason that I made that tweet was one is that I knew that if a verdict came back early, it was going to be guilty. Right. The reason is is because you had a jury with four black people, two multiracial people, and the rest the rest of people were white. You had so there was going to be if there was some debate. About whether or not he did this, then that there was going to be debate that lasted longer than a day. Right, there was going to be debate that probably lasted longer than two days or three days. There were going to be juror questions sent out. Notice in this case, the juror didn't even send out any notes with questions.
1: No, the they didn't. They that was I, so. What happens in in a in the forum? The longest thing that takes place is them trying to decide who the foreman is going to be. Right you know because There's either everybody who Doesn't want to be everybody wants to be a foreman Or nobody wants to be the foreman right Nobody wants to take on the leadership role And so I think that's what probably took on Probably the biggest um, Hurdle was trying to figure out in this type of Case who's going to be the foreman because who's Going to be the one to, um, to, to lead the room um, What I've I, To your point uh, About them seeing the, the evidence from The beginning of this case What I think happened is that they knew they, t- yeah, they took 10 hours to review the evidence as any good jury is going to do, but they were evaluating the case as it was going, going as it was going on. And they knew to your point that the prosecution was laying out an effective foundation for a guilty verdict. And what
2: the video Kamara, <laughs> I mean, there's okay. a video of this man killing George. I
1: Cohen. know, but we know that's not enough. So you can't, you couldn't rely just solely on the video. And, and so they they I think they looked at the case and they said, "Listen, um, I I believe that I believe they went into that room. uh, Not not was a decision made, but they were fairly, they had a fair strong understanding of the evidence because you're right, there was no questions given back to the attorneys.
2: Yeah, think of the timeline. They got the case at five o'clock on. Monday. Monday.
1: Yeah.
2: They so they get they're getting sequestered at that time. So they spent about an hour checking their hour or two checking into the hotel, getting sequestered. Yeah. And doing all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, then they're gonna have dinner. Yeah. <laughs> they went to bed last night. Right. <laughs> and they did not look at anything. They did not discuss anything. This is my view. I'm not sure, but this is what I would guess. Right. They went to bed last night and said, "Let's wake up fresh Monday morning." Uh, Monday. I mean Tuesday, Tuesday morning. morning.
0: Yeah,
2: yeah. Tuesday morning. They probably convened at nine o'clock.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: They had averted by two. <laughs> yeah. They yeah. had averted by two. They went. So that means I'm sorry. By three o'clock, that means they had lunch.
1: <laughs> they had <laughs> lunch, and they decided who the form is going to be.
2: They decided on a form <laughs> Yeah. They had lunch. Yeah. These people knew what they were going to come to. They had. They didn't take consideration any of the defense. Yeah. They knew. They knew to have and I was just like, okay. And that's what I thought because I was just putting myself. I listened to the whole trial. I was putting myself. I'm like, it wouldn't take me a couple of hours. In fact, I would just spend the day just trying to be respectful. Right. <laughs> I know what the verdict is.
1: Right, right. Uh,
2: and that's what I believe happened. And when I saw that the verdict came and I knew that there were no notes sent to the jury, there there was no questions sent to the jury. They had no questions about those. I think it was 18 pages of jury instructions. They had no questions about it. They had no debates. No, you know, nobody saying, oh, I just can't decide. Sending the judge saying, oh, we got a person who can't decide. What do we do? Nothing. This was a unanimous decision with 12 people with less than in less than eight hours.
1: For a three-week trial.
2: For a three-week trial.
1: So there's like a rule of thumb, right? So if anything... Um happens under like let's say for not saying it's a three-week trial but usually trials are like one to three days right Mm -hmm. and um in three days what do you say a week max a week max yeah and um so if a trial is let's say it's it's a two-day trial right and if (laughs) there's a verdict that comes in like under two hours You'd be like, okay, that's good for me. <laughs> right? Because they didn't even they didn't even really weigh the evidence. But if it's like, but if it's like a, a um something to where it's a full like it's like more than two hours, and to do a full, full day of evaluating the evidence, that's probably good good idea for the prosecution, right? And then but in
2: know, this case, I will I will just modify yours a little bit. If it comes back early. And there's, there is objective evidence like this video yeah. that the crime was committed. Right. I thought that was good. that was good for the prosecution. Normally, it would be good for the defense, right? Right. Um, because people will take their time if someone is getting is going to go to jail for a long period of time. People right. do give them the respect to look through all the evidence and stuff like that. Right. Um, so normally, the longer it takes, it's You know, that's the people looking through the evidence, looking through the jury instructions. That's why I say this jury had their mind made up when at the close of that case. So the prosec— I'm sorry—the defense attorney gave them nothing in closing that changed their mind.
1: Would you? Would you? You think this is actually um, the case of jurors coming in with bias prior to the case, or you think the trial helped form?
2: No, I think that you can make a decision. Normally, I would, but mm-hmm. how many cases do you, how many cases go to trial when the evidence is on video? Number right. one, but but what I'm trying
1: to say though, like, <laughs> but i but what I'm trying to say, like, everybody's seen this video,
2: right? And but let's just talk though. Well, what we're used to is we're used to a different. We're used to seeing something where if there's no if there's eyewitnesses of someone shooting and killing someone. Normally, that person is taking a plea. They're not going to trial Mm -hmm. unless, you know, unless it's a a big high profile case that we've seen. Right. Mm -hmm. So those or the trial is going to last a day because there's already evidence. Mm. (laughs) There's all this evidence or whatever. You know, it's going to last a couple of days. You don't see this. So, no, I think that I don't think that the jury had to have biases, even if they did. I don't think that their biases played into it. Based on the evidence, yes, you don't need a whole lot of time. <laughs> there was a video of it, of the killing. Yeah, You don't need a whole lot of time to come up to your conclusion that Derek Chauvin killed George Floyd and he did it during an aggravated assault upon George Floyd's body. Yeah. I don't think you need a lot of time for that because <laughs> there's a video of it.
1: This is, um, this is a case of where we always tell people, um don't avoid jury duty.
2: Yeah, don't avoid jury duty and don't let them tell you. Don't let these media people who need to get the story and make a story out of nothing. Don't let them tell you that this jury was afraid and that you know this jury had all these outside things. The people who had the outside pressures were the brave witnesses who got on that stand. Yeah. <laughs> they got the police officers looking at them. That trust me, they have gotten death threats. They have gotten You know, people with opinions about what they should and should not say. These people have been doxied. I know because we went through it in Trayvon. You have a group of people, the Blue Lives Matter people, the racists, the crazies who are trying to find out where you live, who you are, everything about you. And those people were not hidden and not unseen like the jury was. We don't know what that jury looks like. It's going to be up to them to come out yeah. if they want to. Right. So you know, this jury had a lot more anonymity than the witnesses who had to be on that stand. Imagine that poor boy who called the poli- whose manager called the police because of the fake twenty dollar bill. Can mm. you just imagine what everybody had to say to him?
1: I I, he, I, he I think about him that him. a lot. I think Hi. I think about that a lot. Like what what happened? I mean, the the thought process of the people surrounding this case, you know, I, 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 I know for me, if I were in any of the people's position, whether I was, I'm the one who called in the, the, the fake $20 bill or v- witnessing this death, that would stick with me to my to the end of my life because I'm like, I could have changed something. I could have done something.
2: And not only how you feel, but everybody's opinion. I've read opinions of people saying, well, why did he call the police? Yeah. Why did he? I'm like. This boy, he had every right to call the police. The owner of Cups, I mean, the manager of Cup Foods, they have a business. So yeah. if there's a fake $20 bill, they got every right to call the police. Yeah. Let's not change where the blame goes. Calling the, blame the police
1: is not a death. It should not be a death sentence.
2: Right. Exactly. And that's okay. where,
1: it, we, you know, going back to the, um, you know, the death of uh, uh, um, M- Makia uh, Bryant. She, you know, she called the police. So I don't know if you're familiar, like what literally happened. She um was being harassed by three older women. She's in foster care.
2: Mm-hmm. She was
1: being harassed by three older women. And
2: this is the case that happened today.
1: Today, yeah. Or when yeah. people listen to this on yeah. on uh, Tuesday. On
2: Tuesday, April twentieth.
1: <laughs> yeah, and. She called him and she actually called her mother, her father and her grand and her grandmother. Um, And she had a knife to protect herself from these three other women. The police showed up and just started blast on her. They didn't I mean, it was immediate. And they killed her. And yeah. she's the one who called them.
2: Right. Right. And these are the look, this is the state of you right, know. and it, it is it sh- policing,
1: and it shouldn't. Calling law enforcement shouldn't mean, man, am I gonna, <laughs> am I gonna live through this?
0: Mm-hmm. You
1: know, um, I I was uh I was talking to a friend, Stuart Moore. I was I did a piece on his on his program mm-hmm. for West News, and I talked about how law enforcement um needs to do a better job of calling out its own. And, and fighting against his own. There was a black woman who in Buffalo. She, yes. Yeah. She actually, you know. <laughs>
0: that's okay. Um,
1: There was a black woman in Buffalo who actually uh, 25 years ago. she right? What was that?
2: Are you talking about the black police officer? Yes.
1: Yes. She stopped her. Her, um, another law enforcement officer from a policeman from uh choking uh, somebody who was actually being <clears throat> arrested and she fought him, literally got in a, f- a fight. Now, she lost her job and she lost her pension, and it wasn't until the court came back 25 years later after many appeals and gave her her pension. But that should not be an aberration, that should be the norm. And thinking about the fact that she had to, what she had to lose and sacrifice for twenty plus years for doing the right thing, and right. for me, that is inherently the problem within law enforcement. People, I don't Derek putting his knee on George Floyd's neck is one thing. The three other officers who still have to get tried, by the way, um, who watched it happen and and decided. You know, I'm not going to move him. That is where my problem is. That comes into the humanity or the lack of humanity in which they see black people or brown well, people.
2: All coming up too,
1: right? And so, for me, you know, we have to address the lack of humanity that, that is given um, to those who are current, um, constantly, um, you know, constantly under pressure from law enforcement, whether it's black or brown. Um, individuals or or the poor, they're poor. Yeah,
2: yeah. I, I have a case with a homeless guy. Right. So homeless people get it; they get it a lot with police officers. So I want to say that there are the other officers. They they are they do have upcoming trials, but I suspect after this verdict, we're gonna hear some pleas from them.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I I agree. And so what my thing is that I've always hear this thing back to blue. Back to blue, and this is where you know. Wh- how did we get to a point of politicizing um, this issue? When we started putting things over people.
2: The same time we got to the point where we had something called Blue Lives Matter. Right. It, blue is a life. Right. As, <laughs> that is a job. It's it not. A, it's, not a yeah, it's, a it's not
1: a real thing. Yeah. It's a color. It's not. It's a blue. Blue is a color. It's not a person. Right. right. And so. You know, when we started politicizing it and and putting things over people, that's when became that's when became a, a problem. You know, we have um, a governor who signed a bill, and in and, and it's effective immediately, HB one, House Bill one, um, that criminalizes those who are going to be protesting if three or more, you know, bad actors. Decide to raid, do property damage Or hurt somebody And even if they're not A, pro, a part of the The uh, initial intent Of the march And the protest Everybody involved in the protest Is going to be criminalized That to me again Speaks to How Leadership or this narrative of politi- uh, Of politics Has Dehumanized, or the or taking the humanization of of um, advocacy and put it, you know, a more a preeminent uh, placement of people or property. I mean, it's giving me a property. Right. Because property can be replaced. But people. People, that's the real value. And oftentimes, you know, we, you know, we hear oh, I don't want property damage. Okay, well, you know that's what insurance is for, right? That's what insurance is for. But you know, you can't, you can't, somebody can't lose their life over something. Somebody can't lose their their privilege over. I mean, their um, their their uh, uh rights and privileges of being a citizen because a window was cracked during a during um a, a protest. You know, I just I don't know. I'm just I'm disgusted by it all, and I, I'm. I'm bothered about where we're going and how we are, and and how things are uh, uh, manifesting itself in this country. So, I have a question—not a question. I wanted. To, it's how does Ben Crump, um, how does he deal with the pressure of these cases? I know you're really, really close with him. He's one of your good friends.
2: Yeah, Ben's one of my good friends, and he's a co-counsel in many of my cases. Yeah, so he's co-counsel in um, the Terry Johnson case, the homeless guy who was beat up. We just got a case in Brevard um, where two young teens were killed in a car shoot, where police officers shot into a car. So, Sincere Pierce and AJ Crooms, and um, which we don't feel confident that the that the state attorney is going to press charges against them. Um, but let me, I, I think what people don't realize, Ben is human. He's tired too, but he has a passion for what he does. Mm. This, is, this is his calling. If you talk to Ben, it's like, you know, and one of the other things I think with Ben that's different from other people and I think that makes him special is his secret sauce. Ben loves people. Mm-hmm. He is passionate about equality. He loves He loves talking to people. He loves... I always tell a story about one of the clients that he and I did on a case in Texas. And I was I was like, "Ben, you know, you're getting me a hotel room." He's like, "No, we just going to stay with them." <laughs> <laughs>
0: <I'm> like, ah.
2: <laughs> so, that but that's Ben's personality, you know. And I think for him I never see him tired. Even though I know that he he gets tired. I've seen him sleep. Let me say I have seen him nod off. He'll yeah. not off in the you know in the middle of something that we're doing because he's running ripping and running. But he does get when it's time to go, when it's time to you know do what you have to do at trial in front of camera in the media, whatever. Ben turns on. That is when it's like his calling clicks in, and it's just it's really, I really do feel like you know this is something that's God given to him.
1: Yeah. So I want to um. I want to end it. And by the way, I I do want to say that a lot of times people discredit. Try they try to put, uh, you know, Ben under the microscope of well, how come we're not getting we're not getting convictions? Why do we keep hiring Ben? And I'm like, he's a civil attorney. He is not prosecuting these cases, you know.
2: Civil attorney that is winning millions for his client. And not only is he winning millions, he's putting forth policies. We now have Brianna the the Brianna Taylor Law. We have the George Floyd. Um, act in Congress and that act is going if it passes Congress, it's going to be phenomenal We have the Andre Hill law in Columbus We have a law in many jurisdictions because of Ben, where police officers can't shoot into moving cars So I just want to say before we go if we talk about many people don't know what the George Floyd justice and policing act is mm-hmm. that Act would prohibit profiling based on race and religion and mandate training on profiling it would ban choke holes, cardio holds in, in, among policing. It would ban no-knock warrants. Notice this is Breonna Taylor. Notice this is George Floyd. Um, it would require the use of federal funds to ensure that all, all police departments have body cameras because there are a lot that still don't. It would establish a national police misconduct registry. So that, that's huge where you have that. Um, I know that the state attorney's office in Orange County did that under Airman Ayala, and I know that Monique Orwell is continuing it. That's a huge thing. Now you know the police officers who have committed, you know, perjury and trial are some sort of misconduct, that, and it's out there. So it's available when they're testifying against someone. Um, it will amend the prosecution standard for policing from willfulness to recklessness. It will reform qualified immunity, which I think we need to, we need to um, abolish qualified immunity. Which is, is
1: which? What is qualified immunity? I know you gotta, you gotta go. We all gotta yeah. go. But what is qualified yeah. immunity for those who don't know?
2: Qualified immunity it immunes police officers from civil lawsuits and municipalities. Police, um, not just police officers, any government official really, but it's really used where we hear it in the context of policing. Mm. But it immunes them from civil lawsuits, even if they do something wrong. Um, even if they they cannot be sued unless there's a Supreme Court case that is on point that put them on notice that what they were doing were, was wrong. Mm. So you know the the big case that people cite for qualified immunity, there was a case where um, the police officers sick the dog yeah. on this man who was st- who was sitting down yeah. and handcuffed. And the dog bit him all up and they won immunity from the lawsuit where they couldn't be sued by this man because there was no Supreme court case. The only Supreme court case was a case where the dog was sick on a man who was lying down. So there was a difference. So there was nothing, no case exactly like it. Mm. And so the police in that case was given qualified immunity.
1: immunity. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Alright so last thoughts On what do you feel Like this case the aftermath Would from this Case or George Floyd Will ha- have on black culture or Just
2: um, I think it will make police Officers think twice about whether When they're shooting someone mm. I think that when they, when they Use deadly force or when they use Any kind of force actually I think That they're going to have to know now That They might go to jail for doing this criminal act. All excessive force is, and I want to make sure people understand this, when you hear the term police use of excessive force, excessive force is a criminal act of violence against someone. Yeah. So, yeah, and a criminal act of violence, they are now going to be held accountable for these criminal acts of violence. And I hope that this will now be in their heads that they are not immune from this. Just like everyone else, when you commit a criminal act of violence, you too can go to jail.
1: And we will we leave, drop the mic on that one. Um, Nat, I so appreciate you. I know you had a really, really busy day um, and you know a lot of TV obligations and for you to jump on and do this for me. And for, for those who are fans of the show, I really do appreciate it. Uh, again, I know guys who are listening, this was a, informative. People
2: well, needed to hear. So thank
1: you for having this show. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, you know, I hope you guys appreciate it. I know it's a special edition. Um, I know I do, usually don't do back to back shows, but um, I think the the um, events called for that. So with that being said, I'm going to write out with uh, what we started with with Nina and Simone. I wish I knew how it would be free and, you know, we'll rock next time.